Father, um, I beg your forgiveness that I wrestled with you through this text. Father, instead of bowing before you, your will, your ways. And Lord, I ask now that <clears throat> you would teach. And Father, it is not I, but it is the spirit of the living God that goes forth this time. Um, expounding your truth. <coughs> Father, I... I understand my feebleness to take a text such as this and try to do anything to explain it. And yet, Lord, uh, I beg you that you can give my brothers and sisters even just a portion of the things that you've been showing me. And Lord, we may bow before what is shown and rejoice in what is given. And Father, that our lives individually and collectively, will exalt you and you alone to your praise and glory. In Christ's name, amen. We've been looking at a church, <clears throat> the church in Corinth, that um, for all intents and purposes is struggling. Um, they uh, have got solid leadership. Uh, they have solid teaching. And yet in the process of this, as men and women are coming into salvation, um, they bring their old ways, their old wisdom, their old understanding into the body of Christ. Upon bringing it into the body of Christ, there becomes this um, conflict. Um, usually it starts on the individual level, but individuals uh, learn early, I think, in kindergarten to share Therefore, I can share uh, my understandings, my wisdoms, my struggles with everybody I can come in contact with, hopefully swaying them to my understanding, and then therefore, everything fits perfectly, except for one small problem. It may be against the will of God, and then there will be trials, tribulations, anxieties, heartache, uh, and you can go on and on. What you will find in this church in Corinth is that they had a very large dose of arrogance, a very large dose of pride, of boasting. Uh, we've looked at that in depth. You see it uh, in chapter 1. You see it listed in chapter 2 several times in chapter 3. You see it in chapter 4 several times. Uh, even to the point that in chapter 5, they have an immorality going on in the body of Christ that the pagans don't like, the pagans don't tolerate, and yet this body of believers was doing nothing about it. We have just came out of a text that dealt with litigation. Uh, the Greek society was a Greek of um, litigation. Uh, if they had had television, that had multi-channels of court TV. And because it was part of their society to litigate. Uh, our society is so much like the Corinthian society um, that I will be honest that it's almost scary to me. Uh, and and uh, in more ways than, than, than you could ever dream. Uh, and, and yet I, I, I share this with you because uh, we came out of a verse 11 when he describes everybody in the Corinthian church fit in to verses 9 and 10. 
And if we'll go back and look at that, we can see that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. And every one of us in this room today fit in that list. Some of us fit better than others, but we all fit in it. And no, I do not want anyone to stand up and tell me what list you were in. All right? But he says this has happened. You have been washed. Okay? You have been regenerated. You are a new creation. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. And it is so complete that it is done in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is only done in the power of the Spirit of God. Because it is not possible for man to change his heart. Only God does. And God changes the heart first through the regeneration. Jeremiah says that I will remove the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. That is that you are washed. All right, I will write his word upon your heart that is sanctified. All of these things means justified. I can stand before God upright, holy, blameless. Okay? <clears throat> then verse 12 comes. And that's what we're going to start into. That freedom that is in Christ. Christ's freedom. What does it mean? Um, I, in the position that I am in, have uh, the privilege to deal with uh, many of you on, on a probably a, a little more intimate basis than you would deal with each other uh, individually or collectively. Some of you, you may have a little closer friends in this body than other people in this body. Uh, I, as the senior pastor, uh, have the ability or the privilege to be involved a little more intimately in everyone's life. And everyone that I deal with, either in this body of believers, outside of this body of believers, the problems that I see that you struggle with and that I struggle with is not understanding verse 12. It's that simple. And yet we quote it. And yet my question is, is do we live it? It is extraordinarily difficult to grasp verse 12 in light of the society in which you exist. Not only that, it would have been the same problem that existed in the church in Corinth. We have a document that is a federal mandate that goes from border to border and our territories that is called the Bill of Rights. And we pretty well have uh, understood what the rights of men are. If you will look in our, our judicial system right now, one of the things that is happening in the, uh, the Catholic Church over the priest and the molestations, many of these molestations have taken place past the statute of limitations. Okay? The only statute of limitations that does not, is not limited, the only crime that you can commit that doesn't expire after a certain time is murder. If you murder someone, that crime hangs over you and behind you for all times. In that process, it is the state that is after you. Okay? 
I'll take you back to the, uh, the OJ trial. It was the state of California versus OJ Simpson on behalf of the victim, victims of California. Okay? By the state standard, he was found innocent. Okay, and we can all, you can debate that till the cows come home, whether he did it or he didn't do it or any of the rest of it. I will have to say this, by the state's standard, the man is found innocent. Okay, how would you like to be in his shoes? Okay, we can all sit and say, well, I know he did it, but the truth of the matter is the evidence wasn't there. Okay, and I understand that in the future, he will receive a fair trial. I have no worries about that whatsoever. Okay, and the evidence will be exposed for eternity. I have no worries about that one. Okay, but what happened later? The survivors of the young man who was killed brought civil litigation against O.J. Simpson. Don't you find that ironic? They brought a civil suit against O.J. Simpson who was found innocent of capital murder and yet they ruined and bankrupt his life. Because in civil litigation, you don't have to have a plurality, uh, a, a democratic vote. Is there enough stuff there that the majority thinks he's guilty in the civil trial, they said yes. Therefore, millions and millions and millions of dollars was awarded to the, the young man's family. Okay? No, his wife didn't get anything. Okay? But his, his no, his son, the, this young man who was killed, um, his father is a lawyer, which should have made O.J. nervous. But, um, but it's stuff like that. Do you understand that? He's innocent in a court. Okay? He didn't do the murder. And yet it cost him everything. And, and I, you know what? You can sit and debate this thing till the cows come home, and that's fine. But that is the litigation that you exist in in this day and age. Okay? You can be absolutely innocent of the crime and still lose everything. Okay? So I want you to understand when I jump into this text what you're dealing with. Because he made a statement in here that um, is amazing. Verse 7, in litigation, people suing one another, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? Because my rights say, what? Think about it. If you don't think you're not impacted by this, ask yourself this question. Anybody here not have insurance? Exist in this world today. Exist in the society you're in right now with no insurance. And you're breaking the law. Why do you have insurance? It's required. Why is it required? Because if you're driving down the road and you have an accident... And those people want everything you own. You'd better have insurance, huh? And that reason you have insurance? 
Why do you have homeowner's insurance? Well, in case it burns down. Okay, if it burns down. You have more insurance in your homeowners than just in case it burns down. We have to carry insurance on this building here as a, as a church. Why? What happens if somebody falls on your property? All right, so I want you to see this in light of the, the society in which you exist in. Because he says here, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, in our world today, the one thing that is promoted is men's rights, right? We have women's rights. We have children's rights. We have civil rights. Do we have uncivil rights? No, I don't think so. But do you see what I'm saying? We have all of these things for what purpose? Supposedly to protect the individual. But you know what is different about a Christian? A Christian has duties. Did you know that? As a Christian, you have duties. That's one of the things that is missing in our society today. Um, did anybody listen to KOA radio yesterday? Uh, that guy who was on Sweet Bomb, Alan Sweet Bomb. Did you listen to him? Did you hear me call in? I, I called in. He, he, he was, uh, he, he was uh, discussing uh, uh, states' rights to bring about homosexual marriages and how they acknowledge them, all the rest of it. And I heard all the same propaganda, and I called in and told him the government didn't invent marriage. It isn't a government institution. People were married before there was anything that existed such as the United States or the Constitution. Okay, so he didn't get it, but that's fine. <laughs> All right, that's the only time in my life that I ever felt like I had to call in. I'm sitting there going, you guys have missed this thing. You're putting legis... You act like that the federal government has invented marriage. The federal government didn't invent marriage. Marriage has been around before there was anything that even conceive of Europe let alone colonization of North America. And I just thought it was ironic that you're, you're writing this legislation and he thinks this legislation has to do with, um, um, I, I should know better and talk to somebody named Sweet Bomb. But anyway. All right. I, as a Christian, have duties and responsibilities. But what you will find is human society will mandate their rights over their responsibilities. Okay? And that goes back to the garden. Okay? They're all standing around with their fig leaf clothes on, the new style. Right? And what was the responsibility? It was the snake's fault. And then, no, you made her. Right? What is it? I'm not going to take responsibility. It's not my fault. Happens today. If you have two children in your home, it's almost impossible to find out who did it. Right? Because they both say the other one did it. And, and you find yourself wanting to buy surveillance gear and putting it in your children's areas of play. Okay? I want you to understand something. That the standards are different than the world's are. Okay, look at verse 7 again. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? 
Now, try to do that. Just try to do it. When the guy cuts you off in traffic, when the lady has the 59 pieces in her basket and the nine express item checkout thing, try it. Okay, see what you come up with. Because if you don't understand your position in Christ, why do you get anxious? Okay. Um, uh, and, and, it's, and it's amazing. The only way you can do it is if it is done in the name of the Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that you have been washed, sanctified, and justified. It's the only way. You can't do it any other way. And you can't get two out of three. Okay? I've been washed and justified, but I didn't get the sanctified part. You can't do it. It's impossible. Okay? When you read this verse... Verse 12. Let me ask you a question. In your freedom in Christ, do you consider what is good for yourselves? Do you consider what is good for others? Or Do you consider what is good for the cause of Christ? Which one is it? We have personal rights. And in those personal rights, ask yourself, is this for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ? Is this for the sake of others? And am I willing to give up my personal rights for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's difficult. Go over just a a page or two, and I want to show you a text because I want to keep this one in mind. Verse 7 of chapter 8, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. Okay. However, not all men have this knowledge. We will delve into what that knowledge is in about 10 years. No. Uh, It is considering things offered to sacrifices. And he makes the statement that idols are nothing. There's only one God. Okay. And some of us in this room today don't understand that. Okay. Sorry. Some of you don't. All right. But look at what he says. They don't have this knowledge. Some being accustomed to the idol until now eat food as if it were sacrificed to an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled. Okay. What you see there in verse uh, 12 of chapter six is personal conscience, personal conscience. This is not something that is regulated. This is not a, a, a do or don't. It is personal. It is to you and it is to the king. In our freedom, do we consider the effects of that freedom? Okay? In our freedom, do we consider the effects of that freedom? Let me take you back to a verse, chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man regard us in this manner as a servant of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. The word there, uh, servant, is is a, a slave. 
is a slave, and it's actually an inept slave, a slave that is of no value. If you take off the verses that we looked at in 9 and 10 of chapter 6, that we were fornicators, idolaters, immorals, and all the rest of that, uh, you can see that the Lord Jesus Christ really doesn't have a lot to work with. Okay? And I watch people struggle with that, that being a slave in Christ, because, well, you know, well, no, you don't understand. God doesn't have a lot to to work with. I want you to think of a verse, okay? All right, let's write this down. We won't go to it. I've got it. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. But thanks be to God that through you, though you were slaves of sin, you have become obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Okay? I'm not going to deal with that verse because that thing there is, uh, is, uh, is massive. Okay? But at a point in every person's life in this room, you were under the authority of sin. Sin was your master. And you became obedient from where? From the heart. That is the seed of your being to that form of teaching to which you were committed. Okay? So... If you go back to your verses there in chapter 6, there are all these flowers doing around here. <clears throat> if you go back to your verses there, understand that at a certain point in time, verse 9, okay, we were fornicators and idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, uh, homosexual, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, and we were not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But he lays something there in verse 9 that says, do not be deceived. Okay? The moment that we become a believer, we are born again. Chapter 3 of John's Gospel says, and we are a new creation. We have been washed. 6.11 says, you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified, period. That is salvation. At that point, all right, when that happened in your life. Now listen, I know people right now who have a better grasp of the Bible and the gospel and yet are not saved than a lot of saved people have. Okay, they understand the text of Scripture in an intellectual understanding, and yet their heart hasn't, hasn't believed. Okay, that is going to fly into this verse 12. Paul says, I am a slave to Christ, Romans 1.1, 1, 1, and uh, Romans 6.18 and 22 of chapter 6. In 2 Corinthians 4.5, he says, I am a bondservant. Okay, that is that willful servant. That is that servant who says, I wish to stay with this master. As a slave of Christ, there is more freedom than can be imagined. And yet in this text, it says all things are lawful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Okay, in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Paul says this, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Got that? 
You today in America think you're free. Are you? Why don't you hold on to that question? Do you believe you're free? Okay. Because he says it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What? I was saved. I was washed. I was sanctified. I was justified. Why would I subject myself to a yoke of slavery? And we've been dealing with it. Why would you bring man's wisdom into the things of God? And it ain't a person in this room that's not guilty of it. A believer has a new master. Okay? Let me ask you a question. This is a good one. Who is the head of the church? I'm gonna have, somebody else has to answer beside my wife. Christ is. So why would you forsake the assembling together? Just a question. Hebrews 13. Why would you forsake the assembly together if Christ is the head of the church? Good question, isn't it? Why in America today do I believe that I have this freedom which flies in the face of what Christ does. Do you understand that a Christian, when you read that verse 11, washed, sanctified, justified, you have been freed absolutely, okay, hear what I'm saying, from the authority of sin in your life. Sin has absolutely no authority in your life, if you're truly saved. You know, I watch people take this, <laughs> this verse 12, and it says, all things are lawful, so I'm allowed to go do whatever I want. Now you didn't read 9 and 10. It's obvious in the context, uh, 9 and 10 are disqualifications. Okay, so if you really wanted to look at what was lawful and unlawful, 9 and 10 would reach unlawful. But I can also show you some stuff in 13, 14, 15 that are unlawful too. Okay? I have been freed. If you're truly saved today, sin has absolutely no authority in your life. None. You hear what I'm saying? You're not an addict. You do not have some kind of condition that makes you want to do things. You no longer have sin has authority in your life. Okay? Turn with me to the letter to the Galatians, chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Okay. 5, 6, and 7. 4. I like 4 too. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that He might redeem those. Love that word, redeem. 
he might redeem those who are under the law, and that he might receive the adoptions of son. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, all right, that's, what does therefore mean? In light of what has just been given to you, what happens? You're no longer a slave, but a son. If a son, then an heir through God. Did you get that? A child of God is in slavery to Jesus Christ which is way different than what you understand slavery because there is a privilege there. There's a privilege of being a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? In the B.C. age, before Christ, right? Every single one of you lived at a time in the B.C. age. You had a time that you were before Christ. You have not come to the realization. Now, let me explain something to this. Okay? The B.C. age before Christ could be that you were churched and you grew up in the church and you've always been in church and you've involved in the church and yet you did not know Jesus Christ. Okay? You knew all about him. You knew all the, the ins and the outs and the do's and the don'ts and, you know, how to share your faith without an argument and all the little gimmicks that exist, the Romans' roads of salvation and da 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 I've been in Sunday school all my life. I've been in a choir and the cantatas and all them other things, and yet you would not know Christ. Under that whole time, regardless of where you were, you were a slave to sin. Okay? Some of us knew that we were slaves to sin. Okay, Some of us even boasted in our slavery. But we were under the authority. Every person in this room was under the authority of a taskmaster. You were under the authority of a master who was unrelented in his demands upon you. He never quit. Your salvation happened when you realized that it was possible to be under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in such a way that sin does not master me. After your salvation and my salvation, even though we are called slaves of Christ, we enter into the family of God and are actually sons of God, sons and daughters of God. But that does not happen until you understand who is Lord. You've got to grab that. Uh, some people say that, well, that's Lordship salvation and da 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 da. Let me tell you something. From man's perspective, okay? Roughly 2,000 years ago, 2,000, actually about 2,000 years ago, actually I think it's my calculation say about 2,007 years ago, Jesus Christ became Savior. Okay? Do you know what he was before that? What was he before he became Savior? 
He's Lord. You didn't make him Lord. You didn't ask him to be Lord of your life. He was Lord. 2,000 plus years ago, he became Savior. When did he advocate his Lordship? Never has. Never will. He is Lord. He is still Lord. Now, I understand that if you want to get into sovereignty, that God has always been Savior. He's always been Lord. I understand that completely. But you and I don't live in an eternal state. You and I live in what's going on today, what's going on tomorrow. And when is 2004 over? Okay. He says, do you understand that in my freedom in Christ, now that he is Lord, I've come out of this master, I am now under this master. But under this master, this new master, who is the Lord Jesus Christ, I become Hurio, H-U-I-O-I. Okay, that's an interesting Greek word because it is translated son or heir. But there's an, an interesting um, notation that goes with that. It's easy to say, I'm a son of God. But do you understand that this hero implies choosing to do that which a son would do? Jesus had an earthly father, Joseph. Okay? You could almost see it as an adopted father. What was Jesus' earthly trade? Same as his father. Same as his father. What was Jesus' spiritual trade? Same as his father. Let me ask you. What is your earthly trade? We have some teachers in construction. Have some people who are in secretarial duties. What's your spiritual trade? That will speak of what you are and who you are. Let me ask you a question. Here's, here's something that's really scary. Take the average family today, okay? Average American family, what, 2.3 kids or whatever we got? How do you get a third of a child? Sometimes my. Never mind. Um, let me ask you a question. In the body, in the family right now, the, the family, okay? Who, answer carefully. Who is the greatest spiritual influence in the family? Al says the father. Anybody agree or disagree with that? Pardon? Absolutely. Look at the condition of the spiritual condition of the family. Who's in charge? The father. I remember when I was a young man. Actually, I wasn't a young man. I was very, very young. And I went to church uh, with my mom, my mom took me and my brother to church uh, on a regular basis until we realized that dad wasn't going. And when we realized that, we said, we ain't going. Why? He ain't going. I ain't going. And I know a lot of families that exist today have the same, the same pattern, same model. Why? If dad doesn't need it, why do I need it? 
The greatest single spiritual influence in every family today is the father, period. And listen, it doesn't matter if the husband is saved or not. He's still the spiritual influence in the family. Why? God made it that way. And I hear a lot of people saying, well, the woman needs to because the woman can't. It's impossible. Why? God didn't fix it that way. We got to understand that. We obey Christ because we love him and want to please him. Okay? Men, is that seen in your family? Because if not, you can look at your children and see what you're doing, what your guidance is. Okay? It's like uh, we've got some single people in here, and I'll touch on single people, and I'll touch on some young people. <clears throat> Many of you know uh, uh, my, uh, my wife and uh, my relationship with my wife and uh, her tremendous um, passion for horses. And, and many of you who spend any time with me know my tremendous passion for horses. <laughs> right? Have a, uh, my passion is as strong as hers is. Okay? One of the reasons that I, my passion is so intense with horses was just the other day I had to bring in a few tons of hay, stack it in the barn. Okay. Why did I go out and do that? Anybody give me a reason? For Paige. Why? Well, I'm going to make a little book and I'm keeping all these things that I've done for her. And when I'm really ready, I'm going to say, remember this? Stack your own hay. Why do I fix the fences? Huh? Why do I build barns? Please, someone tell me why I do these things. <laughs> we do these not because we have to, although I have seen it in some relationships between husband and wives that it's mandated. But that's that contentious part that you see in the book of Proverbs. Okay? You know, the guy gets tired of sitting up on the roof house. He will finally work on the, the list. Okay? It's not because you have to. It's because you want to. Why? It is seen. There is a love that is seen. And you know what's cool? Wives do it in the same way. Wives do it the same way. If they love the Lord, if they're single, if you're single, who do you serve? Who do you serve? Listen, it's very obvious. I can tell you right now, single people serve the workforce. I see it. What is the primary thing in my life when I'm young and single? Make money. Why? So I can buy stuff. What stuff? All stuff. Why? What does your society push you to? 
You get out of high school, you go to trade school, you apprentice, or you go to college to do what? Why do you do it? To get a job to do what? And now listen, I'm not against working, okay? Truth of the matter is, a Christian in the workforce exalts work back to its original position. It is a sacred trust, work is. But what happens to us? What happens? The things of the Lord are back here and the work becomes the idol. The idol. How about kids, children? Who do you serve? Children. I'm talking about you ain't got a job yet. (laughs) That could be some adults. Never mind. Uh, Let me tell you something. You can go to a person... If, if, if someone came, I want to ask each of you, because I asked myself this, so I'm going to ask each of you. If someone came, okay, let's say they don't know you very well, uh, maybe they're new in town or something like that, and they spent a very short time with you, who would they see masters you? Who would they see as your authority? Who has authority in your life? Who has control in your life? Because that's what's being spoken of here in, in 1 Corinthians 6.12. Christ promised freedom, not slavery. Okay? Let me give you confessions of a loner. Okay, confessions of a loner, a person who uh, takes people at his own place. People are nothing more than something to be used to my advantage. It's confessions of a loner. What advantage do I have in this relationship? Whether it's an individual relationship, whether it's a corporate relationship, whether it's a personal relationship between a man and a woman. What is my benefit in this relationship? If this benefits do not outweigh the debt, then the relationship is very superficial and does not have a lot of purpose. Okay? What was Jesus' relationship to you and I? What benefit did you bring to the relationship? Okay. Turn with me to Second Peter. Second Peter, <coughs> chapter one. I love Peter. Chapter one. Uh, let's do verses two through four. Okay, two through four. All right. Anybody here like to see grace and peace multiplied? How would you like to have your grace multiplied and your peace multiplied? Okay? You'd like that? Everybody? Adam doesn't want grace and peace multiplied. Brandon's studying with his mom. All right? Yeah, I'm looking at all of you. This, is a, this here is not going to be your, your preaching sermon. If you're looking for homiletics and exegetics and the framework and all things, uh, you should go downstairs now. 
Because this ain't going to work. Because this here is far more important than somebody wondering whether or not it is being exegeted correctly. Do you want grace and peace multiplied? Okay. How? How can I get that done? Look at verse 2. How would I go about increasing in my knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord? Any ideas? How would I do that? Online. Surfing the web. Okay? Because he'll teach me a lot because sometimes my broadband gets narrow. Right? How? Ask yourself a question. How can I have grace and peace multiplied? Through the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. How do I do that? How can an individual right now do that? Go to Bible college? Seminary. Almost said cemetery. <laughs> Die. Your knowledge will increase like you've never dreamed. Okay? All right? Why? God has gifted the body of Christ, which is the foundation and pillar for truth. He has gifted it supernaturally with teachers. What do teachers teach? Uh, Let me be specific. Godly teachers teach the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Why do I teach the Bible? So that your grace and peace would be multiplied. You know what's cool about that? Mine gets multiplied too. Look what it says there. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You get that? What is a Christian lacking? Oh, yes, they are lacking something. Knowledge. Knowledge. Okay? Through the true, key word, true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. I love the New American Standard translation of that. Okay? I like the idea of magnificent promises. Okay? So that by them you may become partakers of what? You know what the word partakers means? Share in it. I'm going to share in it. It's, it's, it's more intimate than, say, a business relationship. Okay? If you go into business with somebody, you partake of, of, of the business, all right, and you split it 50-50. This is more intimate than, say, a business relationship. It means I'm going to share in this thing. I am actually going to be a very intricate part of this thing. What thing would that be? The divine 
nature. See what I mean? Someone should be able to spend just a moment with you and see the partaker of the divine nature. That is the freedom that is in Christ. It isn't... uh, Oh, man. If we can grab this, the world becomes turned upside down in front of us. It isn't what you grasp. It isn't your understanding. It isn't what you teach. It isn't, well, if I do this and this and this. No, you get out of the way and allow the divine nature to be the resident person in your life. When people see you, all they see is Jesus Christ. Now ask yourself a question in these two verses that we've just read. Four, three verses. What's lacking? You're mastered by something else. Something is lacking. I prefer something else. What do you do with your free time? Well, I don't have free time. Then what's mastering you? If you don't have free time for the Lord Jesus Christ, what's mastering you? I will allow nothing to master me, and yet all things are permissible. But what masters me? Let me show you how this works. Partakers of the divine nature looking, having escaped. Okay, you know what that means? Past tense. Okay, you are not in the process of escaping. You have escaped. You know, I had a discussion in a week ago or so on sanctification. Is it a process? Sanctification isn't a process. Your knowledge is. Okay? Sanctification is done. You have everything you need for life and godliness. <laughs> Some of us just don't know it. <laughs> and until I immerse myself in the things of God, ask yourself a question. Do you feel like you are in the process of sanctification? Absolutely. Why? Because I don't know all of it yet. I don't understand all of it yet. I haven't even been tested in some things yet. So the process is there from your viewpoint. God says, no, it's already done. You just haven't got the lights all turned on yet. But don't worry. I'm faithful. Okay? Because it's obvious you're not. All right, look what he says here. You've escaped the corruption that is in the world. How does the corruption of the world exist? It says it right there. By lust. Epithomia. I love that word. I just like the way it sounds. Okay, in and of itself, lust isn't bad. Okay, the problem is, what am I lusting after? And the world prom- promotes itself based on what? Lust, longing, a heart set upon something. I need a new car. I need a bigger house. I need a smaller house. I need a motorcycle. I need a boat. I need a bigger computer, a slower computer. I need a slower computer. Some of you guys need faster computers. Okay. I need this software. I've got to have this thing. I need this investment. I need this much money. I've got to have this thing. I need this thing. All of those are hearts set on longing. What happens to those? They master us. 
I mean, listen, we've got the football playoffs. Let me give you my football illustration, being at the playoffs has started. If you're in the playoffs right now, okay, your team, even if you're a road team traveling to somebody, you're in the playoffs and you're ready. And the team you're getting ready to play against has three plays. That's all they've got. Do you think you can beat them? They've got three plays. That's all they got. They've got three plays. They're going to run all three plays, and that's all they're ever going to run. They're going to run three plays. That's it. Do you think that you're smart enough to beat them? Because you know what? Your enemy only has three plays. That's all he's got. The enemy, listen, take Satan. Let's say for some crazy reason, you get to fight Satan. Okay? And I'll just say, knock yourself out. Okay, don't call me either. <laughs> okay. All right. Three plays. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. That's it. Which ones master you? Which ones are you willing to advocate your freedom to so you can go into a yoke of bondage so that I can go back and be mastered by lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life? bummer that's it and yet i have escaped the corruption and we are partakers of the divine nature we should experience a freedom from the bondage of sin we should experience a freedom that is able to realize the the true idea the the true plan for human nature Okay, let me explain that one. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Those of you who are taking the precept class, hear what I'm saying right now, but disavow it when you begin your precept study. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Romans chapter 6, verse 19. Romans chapter 6, verse 19, 20 and 21. I am speaking in human terms. Because of the weakness of your flesh. Okay? For just, do you understand what just got said there? Okay, I'm just wondering. Oh, yeah, okay. All right, anyway. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, is that a truism? I, I mean,. Anyway, all right, let's just keep going. Resulting in further lawlessness. So now what? Present your members as slaves to righteousness. Doing what? Okay, now think about them words. We've got some little Greek words we hang around and we think, oh, that's pretty cool. You know, justification means I'm right standing before God. Sanctification is that thing that I am now holy and I have the ability to be holy and I'm cleansed. And, you know, we, got, we go through those. Take those definitions, stick them into your text. What does this text tell you, brothers and sisters? Look at this. Present your members as slaves to right standing before God, resulting in absolute holiness. How would I understand what right standing before God is? Here's a hint. You just read it in 2 Peter chapter 1. 
the knowledge of who he is. How will I know what God says is right? Osmosis? Hang a cross in my mirror. Or a, a, a Jesus freak bumper sticker? I know. Christian music. How? How am I going to know when I'm right standing before God? When I do it his way. Look what else he says here. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You know what that means? You had absolutely no ability to understand righteousness. You were completely free of it. I didn't have to worry about righteousness at all. Why? I'm free of it. Righteousness. Right standing before God. Trivial. Trivial. I have no concern is no matter to me. Why? I'm free of it. It is not a bondage to me. My conscience is fine. How about yours? Look what he says, though. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things which you are ashamed of now? What benefit of the things that you had before you understood righteousness, what benefit do they have to you now? Which ones? All of them. For the outcome of those things is death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as one man, just as through one man sin had entered into the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. Okay? Freedom was lost, brothers and sisters. By what Adam did, freedom was lost. Do you know what it means in Genesis chapter uh, 1 where he says, Let us create man in our image. If you surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now capable of being and living in existence the way it was originally designed. Right now. The problem is you got to get rid of a lot of stuff. Okay? This freedom is what I call, and I just wrote it down. This, I don't expect you to, this isn't a deep theological thing. It's Christian will. The Christian will. It's not the power to do whatever we please. It is the power to choose and to follow that which God created us in the beginning for. Do you understand what that means? He says, I want you to take what of all of creation? What did he tell Adam he had a plan for him? There's something that he wanted Adam to do. Dominion. Take dominion over all of it. Do you know what that means? Rule. You know what that means? You were created. Mankind was created originally to be kings. That's all. And dominion over what? All of it. The whole thing. When Adam rebelled against God, what happened is this. He took his royal crown and he gave it to Satan and says, you rule. You rule. 
It's yours. It's all of yours. Romans says all of creation groans for the redemption of men. Why? It is under whose rule? Satan's. He's still ruling the roost. And Christians today, for some crazy reason, love his authority. I don't understand that. There ain't a person in this room who has not tasted the bitterness that Satan offers. And yet, how many times are we willing to go back to it? I shall not be mastered by any of it. Why? Curio. I am a child of the king. Not only that, I am an heir. Not only that, I am going to have a crown in which what happens? I rule over what? What? Creation. What does Satan offer you that's better than that? If you don't believe me, when Jesus was tempted by Satan, what was the last thing he offered him? Of what? All the kingdoms of the earth. Why? They're mine. And I'll give them to you if you do what? You worship me. Why would we shortchange? Satan ain't never offered any of us in this room all the kingdoms of the world. He doesn't have to. I can offer you a stupid video. I can offer you a movie. I can offer you a a fling. I don't have to give you the kingdoms. And here's what's so stupid about it. You already do. I mean, when you read that text in Matthew where he offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the earth, how stupid is that? You guys have heard me talk about this before. At Christmas, people will sell stars. You name a star after somebody, right? Those are mine. Quit selling my stars. My daddy made every one of them, okay? You see what I mean? So when Satan offers Christ all the kingdoms of the world, what is he saying? I'm offering you that that is already yours. It's already yours. As would it be to the heirs. Freedom in Christ is the power to choose. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8. I'm almost done. I'm making good time. Things back there trying to say it's not going to fit. It's not going to fit. John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 29. All right, I want to keep 28 in it to the end of the flow. Okay? So Jesus said, when you see, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. Sounds cool, doesn't it? That goes back to that first, that second Peter chapter 1, 2, 3, 4. All right, here's what he says. And He who sent me is with me. Okay? He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. See, that's the good news. 
Freedom after his own pattern is offered to all who come into the union with Jesus Christ. Okay, that's one of the things that drive me nuts about these, say this prayer. Say this prayer and you're saved. No. Follow me. And you'll be saved. There's a huge difference between saying a prayer and following. Huge difference. Let's go to some more good stuff. John 15. I'm thinking that I should just teach the book of John. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 5. I think I did teach this, didn't I? Verse 5. I am the vine. Okay? You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him. What happens? Okay? The word abides means to remain. Okay? You remain. How many of us remain? How many of us sell out that he is king, he is Lord, he is... Hey, I'm going to go over here. How many of us sell out and then I'm on vacation? I have two weeks vacation, Lord. How many of us sell out but now I'm retired? How many sell out? I'm on a short-term mission trip. I'll be there for 10 days. I'm going to walk with Jesus and I'm coming back and I'm going to live like the devil. Why don't you bear much fruit? You don't remain. You don't remain. I remember talking to Hank Smith one time. I love that man. And he said, you know what, Terry? You are living proof of a miracle. He said, I've never seen anybody more transformed and as quickly and as radically as you were. And I said, uh, I just remained. Um, and my reasoning was I tried all the rest. I mean, I, I, I'm not, it isn't anything to boast in. I've tasted it all. I've had lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I've tried it all. I know what they give you. Nothing. They offer you nothing. They never satisfied. You're never content. You never feel like you've arrived. And right now in my life as the Lord Jesus Christ, I have arrived. I've arrived. Why? I'm going to remain. You know what? If nobody else wants to remain, I'm remaining. I'm remaining. That's why when people offer me other jobs in other places, I don't even consider them. Why? I'm here. I've arrived. And I mean, when everybody leaves and is trained and is perfectly equipped to walk as Christ walked, then I'll be done and I'm going home anyway. You guys hurry, please. Why? Abide in me. Good news, brothers and sisters. Freedom after his own pattern is offered to all who come. That is the gospel. Freedom to do that which pleases the one who makes us free. Look at John's Gospel 836. I'm hurrying, I'm hurrying. 836. <coughs> you believe in absolute truth? Alright. Then you gotta deal with this one. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Because look at verse 35. How cool is that? The slave does not remain in the house forever. 
but the son does remain forever. If the son who can make you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, one last, well, no, I got a whole bunch more. Um, stay right where you're at. I'm going to quickly run like a rabbit over to uh, Romans 8. And you can look this up on your own. Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit. If you ever really want to know what the Holy Spirit is up to, uh, Romans 8 will do it. Keep your finger there because I'm coming back to 15. But anyway, Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 10 says this. Oops, wrong page, Terry. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God indwells you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Okay, If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. Okay, Have you ever heard this statement? I know it was a powerful message because the Holy Spirit did what? Convicted me. Okay? You know, there's another one of the messages that you did and it convicted me. And this did this and it convicted me. You know all you're saying is? I'm being mastered by everything but Christ. Or you're saying that the knowledge you've gotten from truth, I'm not really grabbing it that well and I'm not sure I'm going to trust it. Now everybody's not saying, I ain't telling him I'm convicted anymore. But that's all we do. You know, that one never convicted me again. And, and you know what? There's not a problem with that coming to a point in the Spirit of God convicting you as long as you repent and allow Him to master you. But if you're being convicted by the same thing over and over and over again, who's got the problem? Okay, I thought we could get that one right. All right. Um, John 15 again. Verse 14 through 17. Oops. See, I told you guys to put your finger in there and I didn't. All right, John 15, 14 through 17 says this. You are my friends. How do you know if you're a friend of Jesus? Do what he says. No longer do I call you slaves, for a slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would remain, so that whatever you ask in the, of, of the father in my name, it will be given to you. This command... This I command you, that you love one another. I want to back into verse 15, okay, and show you this conviction thing again. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what the master is doing. When you are under conviction of God, of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, if you don't ever have the Holy Spirit bother you, you just need to be saved. Okay? That's the problem. Okay, is you're not saved. You have an intellectual ascension. You've stayed, stayed and tolerated it or whatever you've done, but you're just not saved. All right? So if the Holy Spirit is convicting me, he shows me something that I'm doing wrong, then what is being done is God is revealing his righteousness unto you, and it is your responsibility to be a friend and do what has been asked. Why do I stack hay for my wife? She's not the Holy Spirit. Because she is my friend also. And I help my friend. 
Why? And you know what is really cool about it? My relationship with her is such now, she doesn't even have to ask me. She just says, hey, it's coming on such and such day. I look, I can't find anything to go do, and I'm stuck doing it. <laughs> okay? I'm trying. I'm still trying to figure out why my oldest son is always gone when hay comes. That I will deal with. But I, I, it's stuff like that. A slave doesn't know what the master is expecting. A child of God does if he's truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He or she is truly indwelt by the Holy Spirit. There should be a, a longing in the core of your being for the things of God in every aspect of your life. And if not, then you're under conviction. If you're under conviction, then bow to the conviction and understand who's trying to master you. Okay? No longer do I call you slaves. For a slave does not know what the master is doing. But I call you friends. For all things I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You understand that? What has been withheld? That's why Peter can say in 2 Peter chapter 1, he has given you all things pertaining to life and godliness. Why? Because Peter is standing there when he says, you're no longer slaves. Why? I have given you everything that the Father has given me. And you take 2 Peter and look at it in your life right now and ask yourself a question. What do you know about God? And then I'll make it even tougher. What do you know about God in the mundane, day-to-day grind that this world lays on you? And then ask yourself this. Do I trust him? Because let me tell you something. Go back to your text in 1 Corinthians. Verse 12. Let me tell you, in my study of Scripture, I see times that text, I call them hinge text. And I think somebody told me that one time, but I forgot who told me. But a hinge has a pin. And you take a door and it swings on that pin, right? Okay, if, if you've got the door jam here, the door swings out this way, and then it swings this way, and it's shut, okay? This is a pin text, okay? The weird thing about this text is the whole book spins 360 degrees off of this phrase, off of this sentence. Dealing with the wisdom of man Okay, and the divisions that come from there, hooking my wagon to personalities. I'm only going to study under this person. I like this person's teaching. I like this person's teaching. When you put all of those together, what happened? I just got mastered. I allowed my flesh to rule me. Okay, I'm going to deal with immorality. I'm going to deal with eating. I'm going to deal with sign gifts, spiritual experience. I'm going to deal with the role of the man. I'm going to deal with the role of the woman. And it's all going to hang off of what masters you. What masters you. Now, there's another hinge text in this book, but that one is one that you really got. But this is different than our doors. 
I don't know how we make a hinge that's 360 degrees, but this is 360 degree text. I am absolutely free in Christ. I have a new master. Not only that, in my knowledge of who he is, in my knowledge of who he is, he is my friend, not a slave. I shall not be mastered by anything. Live by this. Just open your eyes. You'll be able to walk and your feet won't even move. You can get in a text like that and all you do is hang out in the heavenlies. That's all you're going to do. And yet I know the struggles that each of you have, or some of you have, and, and you're struggling with this and this concern and this heartache and this tribulation. And that question is, is that tribulation mastering you? Or are you looking through it, saying, I'm on the other side? Hallelujah! That's what we need. That's what we're here about. Why? You do this. Why? I'm a child of the king. Let us act like it. We have dominion now. You believe it? And it shouldn't be any big deal for somebody to sit with you for just a very short time and know whose authority you're under. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for this text. And Lord, I know that... Your word goes forth and accomplishes what you sent it for. Lord, I am not adequate. I I beg your forgiveness on on my handling of this. And yet, my King, my Lord, I praise you for teaching. Father, my heart, my passion is is that the saints, uh, the eyes of their souls will be open to see this. Father, that those who have seen this and who rejoice in this thing, Father, in the freedom that is in Christ, Father, may we only shine brighter. May those people just become brighter and brighter as that day draws near. Father, may those who do not understand this and have not, have not embraced this, Father, may today be the day of their true freedom. May they understand that we are friends of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, Oh, Lord, our Lord, to your praise and your glory, in Christ's name, amen.